Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. My guest today is Cal Betis, the former president and CEO and current board member of Aetna Bear & Company, based today in Livonia, Michigan, outside Detroit. He joins me on the sidelines of the Great Lakes ACG Capital Connection. Cal, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to focus our conversation today on tariffs, which have had major effects on mid-sized companies, including Aetna. Before we get into that, you know, just wanted if you could talk about Aetna a little bit, the business, and what you produce. Sure. Uh, so Aetna Bearing Company was founded in 1916 in Chicago proper. Uh, we are a bearing manufacturer and uh, evolved through the years and were publicly traded on the Midwest Stock Exchange in 1937 underwent major uh, rapid expansion, and we kind of reached our peak in the 1950s at 600 employees. And then uh, we kind of evolved and got involved in the automotive industry and the agricultural industry. And uh, starting in early 2000s, we uh, expanded our supply chain to Asia. And then last year, we underwent a major initiative and relocated the company from Chicago to Livonia, Michigan. Talk about how middle market manufacturers have been affected by tariffs. There were two tariffs that were imposed that had a major impact on manufacturers. One of them was Section 232, which was the steel and aluminum tariffs. And then there was Section 301 against China, which was broken down into actually five different lists. List 1, List 2, List 3, List 4A, and List 4B. For middle market manufacturing firms, especially those within the $10 million to $100 million you know, revenue range, the uh, administrative resources required to pass along prices and administer the price increases and determine you know, how much of the price that we can pass on to the customers without risking loss of our business has been quite burdensome. And you know, the, the other part of this is a lot of companies kind of plan three, four years out. And a lot of these changes that are coming in from uh, the administration in terms of the imposition of tariffs are happening within a week's period. You get notified on a Sunday, Friday it's implemented. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're scrambling to try to figure out how to, how to navigate that. And you mentioned all of the resources that go into planning for these tariffs, uh, or, or responding to them, rather. What, what's the opportunity cost of that? What are mid-sized companies not able to do because they're spending all of this time and, and capital resources on dealing with the tariff question? That's a really good question, because whenever you're having to deal with administering the price increases with customers, it's not as simple as, okay, you know, so our cost has increased by... 10%, so we're just going to pass our prices, um, the price increase onto our customers with the flip of a switch. It's actually more complex than that. It typically takes companies negotiating with their larger customers and having to arrive at a uh, you know midpoint where part of the cost increase is absorbed by the supplier and part of the cost increase is absorbed by the customer. And it can easily take about a month of dedicating your customer service, your sales team, negotiating these price increases to, with the customers, and then at the same time, on the operations side, negotiating price concessions with your suppliers. So rather than dedicating your efforts on sales growth and innovation, you're dedicating resources to administer these tariffs and the impact on your customers. For mid-sized manufacturers that have sourced materials from China, are you seeing them now look for other countries to, to work with? 
One thing about China is that China has progressed technologically over the past 20 years mm -hmm. and at a very significant and rapid pace. Um, so they're, they're at a level where, you know, a lot of companies uh, that, that seek a certain level of quality are comfortable with what they're buying from, from China. So the idea that a company is here in the U.S. Um, is affected by the tariffs on raw materials coming in from China, the idea that you're going to relocate and restructure your supply chain and have that complete in a month or two is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you're buying nuts and bolts, maybe that's a possibility. But if you're supplying more sophisticated industries or more demanding industries, then restructuring your supply chain is like a two-year endeavor. So a lot of companies are still kind of in the wait-and-see mode if they're able to do so. Some have jumped on the boat of, we've got to do something because we see this as a long-term um, strategy of the administration, and we, there's a tremendous risk to us potentially losing business, not to another manufacturer in the United States, it's to another manufacturer that sources or is, produces out of non-China Asia country. Let's say you wanted to move out of China, maybe find a, a supplier in Vietnam, let's say. Are you then breaking your contract with the Chinese supplier? Are there, are there costs associated with that? Sure. There's, there's a lot of risks to restructuring a supply chain within a short period of time. If, if you put yourself in the supplier's shoes and you begin to lose sales to a particular customer, case in point, you know, in this case, it's a United States manufacturer, what's going to happen is there's going to be some price increases because the volume of products that you're buying from that supplier is going to go, it's going to go down. Mm -hmm. um, that's one potential risk that you're going to have to deal with. Now, going to a new supplier in Vietnam or Thailand, Thailand is kind of like the go-to point right now okay, because they're kind of second in line to, to uh, China. The risk that you have is that now you have a lot, a lot of the larger manufacturers, those that are you know, a billion plus in sales, relocating their supply chains to, to Thailand. Or it might have been something that was in the plans and they're accelerating it. So now you got the middle, middle market manufacturing firms you're going to have a really difficult time contending with with those larger manufacturers that are going there. There's already um, evidence right now of, of a shortage of labor in Thailand and Vietnam to support the uh, any kind of expansion in the supply chain in those uh, two countries. And there's also uh, what a lot of companies are beginning to find out is the infrastructure is just not there. Hmm. So they're still buying raw materials from China, importing it to Thailand, doing some final assembly before they bring it here. And the cost savings that they had in mind wasn't quite there. Are there other countries that you think will be winners from this? I mean, you mentioned Thailand and, and Vietnam being places where some companies are shifting um, their supply networks. Are are they going to benefit from this? And are there other nations you'd point to as coming out ahead? So definitely Thailand and Vietnam. Um, there are uh, textile industries that previously outsourced from Bangladesh to China mm -hmm. because of their human rights uh, history and uh, you know workers and uh, just not being treated fairly. So uh, what's happening now is actually these countries are now beginning to see some some resourcing back into their countries. So they're, they're going to benefit. The, the consequences is that, you know, when it comes to human rights, it's just going to be an issue of 
kind of going back to what we had experienced in the past is, you know, and one example was a factory that literally collapsed on the on the workers during the day. But I think that in the end, you know, we know that global GDP is going to be impacted by this because you got the two superpowers going at it. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't going to be any winners in the Western countries um, or Japan. I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, potentially the Treasury making more money uh, from this. But in the end, we're all going to be losing. Global trade turmoil is likely to impact M&A activity, I'm sure, because of just the uncertainty that it's created. And I think it's also generated a new set of questions for investors who are looking at buying a business. You know, in your view, how has how have the tariffs and other trade developments impacted the due diligence process? There's a lot more scrutiny right now on your supply chain. Holistically, the, su- the supply chain is kind of part of your company and should always be part of the due diligence process. But there's a lot more scrutiny right now to the supply chain, particularly if it's um, based out of Asia. There are there are risks whether your suppliers are based out of China or Thailand because there's so much change going on. Mm-hmm. So one thing that a lot of firms are beginning to do is not only say, okay, well, you've had a long-term relationship with this supplier in China, and we know what the you know kind of the price levels are, the quality levels. We feel comfortable. I think that right now one of the more prudent things to do is to physically go visit the suppliers and understand exactly the, the dynamics that they're having to deal with because there's a potential that they might be losing other customers as a result of the tariffs and they could potentially be on the brink. So that's kind of you know, just one example of how to view you know, the supply chain and making it part of the due diligence process because there are risks that could be hidden. So the Trump administration has touted tariffs as a way to protect U.S. industry and as a way to penalize bad actors in in global trade in the administration's view. Given those claims, is there any upside to tariffs? We know historically that there are legitimate reasons to breaking down barriers to global, global trade. We know this from the general agreement on tariffs and trade, which was signed by 23 nations back in 1947, post-World War II, which eventually evolved into the World Trade Organization with 123 signatories. We know that that global trade increases global GDP growth Mm -hmm. and uh, increases the standard of living for uh, the globe as a whole. We also know that protectionism is a policy that's been tried and failed in the past, so to think that um, tariffs is going to benefit the United States is, uh, I, I think, it's fundamentally flawed way of thinking about it. I think that in the short term and long term, it's going to have a detrimental impact on our growth here within the United States. Part of the reason that the Trump administration wanted to impose the, the tariffs is to um, combat some of the issues that the administration perceives China is kind of not playing by the rules. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, a better approach and I, you know, something that I wish the administration would kind of consider is using the World Trade Organization to file complaints. Mm-hmm. Uh, because China is a member of the WTO as of, as of 2001, I think trying to um, go at it alone, United States versus China, is one of those things that's just going to be very difficult to accomplish what they're seeking to accomplish but it's it's one of those things that once you kind of begin the battle, it's kind of hard to rewind it. Mm-hmm. So it's there's a lot of uncertainty right now in the uh, industry as a result of this. But you know it's one of those things where we kind of have to play a wait and see approach and see see how this kind of plays out. Cal, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.